0: Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: Welcome to Burger Chef. My name is Jane and I'd love to take your order. Please tell me you still sell the fun meals with the space war toys. You mean Star Wars? No, that's William Shatner.
2: I've been to every burger chef in the greater Indianapolis area, and my little Timothy is pitching a
1: fit. I'm so sorry, but we're out too. Kids are cuckoo for R2-D2. Was that supposed to be funny? I'm sorry, I've got a smart mouth. I didn't realize this was so important. (sighs) I know, I'm ridiculous. But I've just been so rattled since the
2: Cyphers murder. If I can't be happy, I just want my son to be.
1: I think the movie tie-in deal might be over. I'm so sorry, again. Well, for my Timmy's sake, I just hope they make a sequel soon. (laughs) no, that'd be awful. Why ruin a good flick with unnecessary- Oh my god, is everyone okay? Daniel?
3: All good. There's smoke down the street. It's like a bomb went off.
1: A bomb? What's going on with this town?
4: In September 1978, 20-year-old Jane Freet was settling into her new role as assistant manager at a burger Chef store in Speedway, Indiana. The summer had been a rough one thanks to a horrifying July murder that shocked the town. A surprise
0: bomb going off in September was the last thing Jane, or Speedway, needed. But more bombs would come, and that wouldn't be the worst of what the town would endure that year. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a ParCast
4: original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case.
0: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar.
4: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast.com and Twitter at Parcast Network.
0: This is our first episode on the 1978 Burger Chef murders in Speedway, Indiana. This week, we'll learn about the strange events that shattered the suburbs' peace and quiet, and meet the four Burger Chef employees whose usual Friday night routine took a terrifying turn.
4: Next week, we'll cover how they died and the murder investigation that lasted for over a decade. In 1978, Speedway, Indiana, was a town of just around 12,000. It got its name from the nearby Indianapolis Motor Speedway, home of the Indianapolis 500, the world's oldest currently operational auto racing competition. It was also home to Jane
0: Carroll Freit, a young woman on the cusp of adulthood whose ambition and energy would put any race car drivers to shame.
4: Jane was born in Indiana on May 2, 1958, to railroad conductor George Freet and his wife Carolyn. While the couple had several other children, Jane was a standout and a force to be reckoned with.
0: By the mid-1970s, Jane was a superstar at Speedway's Avon High. Her list of activities was dizzying, gymnastics, choir, pep club, yearbook, band, and drama. She also honed her leadership skills as a librarian's assistant and a teacher's aide, but nobody would ever mistake Jane for an uptight teacher's pet.
4: The cheerful girl nicknamed Sweet Jane was quick with a joke and even quicker with a laugh. Classmates compared her to comedian Lily Tomlin, and there was a sense that she would go on to do great things.
0: Greatness called out to Jane from the most unlikely of places. A hamburger joint called Burger Chef, founded in Indiana in 1954, Burger Chef had expanded to a staggering 1,200 locations by the
4: 1970s. Second only to McDonald's, Burger Chef was a popular place for teens to get after-school jobs. In 1975, 17-year-old Jane landed a position at a franchise in the Speedway area. But
0: Jane didn't just want a job, she wanted a career. By the time she was 20 in 1978, Jane lived in her own apartment and worked at Burger Chef full-time, driving a white 1974 Chevrolet Vega to work every day.
4: Her work ethic and bubbly personality were a hit, and she was soon transferred to a higher role at another Burger Chef on Crawfordsville Road. She took on the task of training new employees, like Daniel Davis, a 16-year-old amateur photographer who yearned to enlist in the Air Force.
0: The Decatur Central High School junior was known for his sense of humor and upbeat spirit. So there's no doubt that he and Jane had a great rapport.
3: Sweet Jane! You got a sec to show me how the registers work? Old boss man just told me I could start training on him.
1: Wait, you're getting a shot at the register? You're six years old. Sixteen, Jane? Yeah, but you've been working here for about two minutes. You don't have to be a bitter old bitty about it. Oh, I'm a bitter 20-year-old crone, stripped of brains and beauty, and I'm far too feeble to even recall how to show you the register ropes.
3: Jane, quit the jokes and help me out,
1: please. <sighs> Fine, Danny Davis. Now you too can enjoy the special suffering that comes with financial responsibility.
3: Far
4: out! Jane loved running a tight-knit team, but some aspects of the company culture irked her. Of course, Jane was Jane, so she confronted her superiors about it.
1: I want a promotion. I'm dead serious.
4: (sighs) You're never dead serious.
1: Look, I've worked for Burger Chef for three years. I've tracked inventory, I've handled money, and I trained everyone on this team. And you know what I see?
5: What, Jane?
1: I see Eddie getting promoted. I see sweet little Danny getting a chance to learn the register when he's barely been here a year. I see lots of men, boys really, getting opportunities instead of me. Oh,
5: come on. Don't make this some kind of sexism thing. Isn't it? No, I just... you're so busy with school- I
1: graduated! I'm a grown woman who lives on her own and works over 50 hours a week! I've proven myself, so now it's your turn. Or, I'll take my million dollar work ethic and billion dollar smile to the fine team over at Dunkin' Donuts.
5: You wouldn't dare.
1: I've got a sweet tooth. I just might.
5: Okay, let's... okay. You are absolutely an essential part of this team.
1: No, I pretty much am the team. And if you think flattery... How does
5: Jane Freet assistant manager sound?
1: Pretty damn perfect, boss.
0: Jane was promoted to assistant manager in the summer of 1978, a promising first step for the young woman who dreamed of climbing the Burger Chef corporate ladder. Jane's fight to get the promotion she deserved undoubtedly served as an inspiration to younger female employees like Ruth Ellen Shelton.
1: Ruth, do you really have a Bible and a computer textbook out at the same time?
2: Is something wrong?
1: I was told I could do homework on my breaks. Well, of course you can. I was just curious. Religion and science, you know? They're kind of like opposites.
2: Mm, The way I see it,
1: uh, God made humans,
2: and humans
1: made computers. So you could argue that the Lord was actually the very first engineer? Huh. You know, one day, I think you're going to make a great nun. Or possibly a great astronaut. <laughs> Whichever gets me closer to God.
4: Ruth Ellen Shelton was born into a religious Indiana family on December 19th, 1960. By 1978... She was a quiet 17-year-old with a wide range of interests. The polite,
0: kind teenager enjoyed crafting and singing and was passionate about her youth ministry work at the Westside Church of the Nazarene. However, Ruth was also fascinated by computer science and hoped to study it in college.
4: She took business and math courses at Northwest High School, hoping to gain a competitive edge in the male-dominated field. Though she was an honors student with an intimidating course load, Ruth also worked a part-time job.
0: After starting at the Dunkin' Donuts next door to Burger Chef, she joined the Crawfordsville Street Burger Chef team by 1978. It was a busy time, especially once the fun meals started coming with toys from a galaxy far, far away.
4: Burger Chef's promotional tie-in with 1977's Star Wars was one of the first deals of its kind and the toys remain a collectible today. It was an exciting time to be a kid in Speedway, but as the summer days grew hotter, the town's adults were dealt a shocking blow.
0: At 3 p.m. on July 29th, 65-year-old Julia Ciphers was shot dead in her own garage. Her killer was a mysterious long-haired man who had come to inquire about a fine china set that Julia had advertised at a recent garage sale.
4: Julia's husband Fred knew someone had called about coming to see the items, so he innocently brought the man to meet his wife. After hearing a gunshot, he ran to the garage to see Julia on the ground in a puddle of blood and the man escaping in a car. Julia was a
0: church-going librarian who worked with the Girl Scouts, so police were mystified by her violent murder. Speedway was a safe town, and Julia's only possible enemy was businessman Brett Kimberlin.
4: Julia's daughter, Sandra, worked for Kimberlin, who allegedly sexually harassed Sandra's teen daughter, Julia's granddaughter. Julia threatened to file a restraining order against Kimberlin, and police thought the murder might have been his violent retaliation.
0: The man who killed Julia on July 29th was not Kimberlin, but police suspected he was a hired hitman. The hunt began for the Speedway assassin, and the investigation gripped the hearts and minds of every local.
4: Until September 1st, when the Speedway bombings began.
0: When we return, we'll learn about the terrifying wave of bombings that rocked Speedway, and describe the fateful night that gave the Burger Chef murders. Their name. On Unsolved Murders, we explore the facts of real life true crime cold cases. But if you're looking for more true crime cases with a bit of a twist, you should check out the podcast Original Female Criminals. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? You picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Well, I bet you didn't think it could be the mother around the corner, or the little old lady next door. Female Criminals investigates the lives of the world's most notorious female felons and explores the stories behind their dangerous crimes. These criminals come in every form, from serial killers and assassins to bank robbers and drug lords. Female Criminals is like a mystery and crime documentary rolled into one. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Follow Female Criminals free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Now, back to the story.
0: 1978 started off well for 20-year-old Jane Freet, thanks to her promotion to assistant manager at a burger chef restaurant in Speedway, Indiana. But her good fortune was soon overshadowed by the terrible events unfolding in her town.
4: The July murder of an older woman shook Speedway to its core, and the fall of 1978 ramped up tensions to an explosive degree.
6: I'm reporting live from the Speedway High parking lot, where there's been another detonation, the eighth in six days. While the past seven have only resulted in minor injuries and property damage, the Speedway High explosion has seriously injured three individuals. As we await more from the police, there's only one question on our town's mind. Where will the Speedway bomber strike
0: next? The Speedway bombings were a bizarre series of eight explosions that occurred between September 1st and September 6th, 1978. Small, homemade detonators were set off at locations like a shopping center, a motel, a bowling alley, and even under an off-duty policeman's car.
4: The final bombing occurred at Speedway High, where Vietnam veteran Carl DeLong lost his leg. Two others, including DeLong's wife, sustained serious shrapnel wounds. The bomb's
0: components were traced back to one specific hardware store, where an employee had no trouble identifying the man who had bought the parts. It was Brett Kimberlin, already a suspect in the July murder of Julius Cipher.
4: While the bombings came to an end after the blast at Speedway High, it would take years for Kimberlin to be officially charged with them. In the meantime, the bombings were yet another jolt to Speedway's frayed nerves. Locals couldn't believe how many terrible things had happened to their quiet suburb that year.
0: The crimes also impacted the Crawfordsville Street Burger Chef, as one of the explosions occurred just up the street from them. The incident prompted a round of resignations.
1: Ugh, Mom. Another one quit today. Why am I surrounded by cowards?
2: It's not cowardly to want to survive, Jane. It's not like any of your little minions would know how to react in a crisis like that. I worry
1: too. But those bombs were a freak... thing! We've got tons of cops stopping by the chef and patrolling the area. But what if it's not a bomb?
2: What if some deranged man with a gun breaks into the store and robs you? You might be unstoppable, but you're not invincible.
1: I've been studying my Charlie's Angels, and now I know the best course of action is to flip my hair elegantly and then karate chop my assailant. Very elegantly. Jane. All robbers want is cash. If they come in guns a I'd just hand over whatever's in the register. I wouldn't fight, Mom. I promise.
4: Good girl. Jane was confident she could overcome any challenge that got in the way of her success. But her trust and enthusiasm didn't always rub off on her employees. Balancing school,
0: work, and teen life was hard enough without the threat of violence. In the fall of 1978, Ruth Ellen Shelton realized she had to make a change.
1: Ruth, can I pull you to take care of the ladies' room? The trash is overflowing. Lord, give me patience. Ruth Ellen Shelton. Is that a... (laughs) A whiff of attitude? What's wrong? I just tried to resign, but it didn't work. What? Explain. Look, I... this isn't against you or anybody here. You're all wonderful. Don't tell me Duncan is poaching you back. Oh, they are so slimy! (laughs) No! I'm just overwhelmed, Jane. Between school and church and voice lessons, I need more time for myself. What did Ben say? begged me to stay through the holidays. I don't want to, but I know how insane things get. I'd feel bad creating all this extra work. As your friend, I say, follow your heart. But as your assistant manager, we need any help we can get to survive the Christmas crazies. I know, I know. So what, just a few more weeks? Oh, a few more weeks, kiddo. Then you can hang up your uniform and get busy. Um, building spaceships? That's what all the cool geeks do, right? Something like that. Thanks, Jane. No, thank you.
4: Ruth's good conscience wouldn't allow her to resign immediately. She knew she'd be putting her friends in a jam, and that wasn't her style. Her loyalty made her stay, and that's how she ended up on the closing crew on the fateful night of Friday, November 17th, 1978.
0: Short-order cook, Mark Sylvester Flemons, wasn't supposed to work that night, either. Mark was a 16-year-old sophomore at Speedway High. He was the youngest of seven siblings, raised in a strict household of Jehovah's Witnesses.
4: Mark was well-groomed, stylish, and friendly. But he'd had a rough freshman year at Speedway in terms of his grades. By sophomore year, in the fall of 1978, he'd made serious improvements.
0: His parents, Robert and Blondell, allowed him to take a job at Burger Chef, but they were somewhat reluctant about Mark's new employment.
6: Mark, I thought you didn't work Fridays. Are you fibbing to me? No, sir. I switched shifts with Ginger Haggard. She wanted the night off. So you do whatever Ginger says. You got a crush or something? No, Dad. I I just... I was helping her out. I said you could take the job because your grades were getting better and the restaurant's walking distance from home. But if it's too much of a commitment- I'm sorry, okay? I worry, son. You're doing a whole lot better and I just don't want you more
4: distracted than you need to be. You understand? I do. Mark Flemmons tried to back out of taking Ginger Haggard's shift, but his bosses insisted he worked the Friday night closing shift as promised. Fate placed Mark and Ruth alongside Daniel Davis and Jane Freet as Burger Chef fed its last customers on November 17th.
0: The restaurant closed at 11 p.m., and the real work began for Jane and her well oiled team.
1: Thank you so much for coming into Burger Chef, and have a far out Friday night. Okay, kids, the hungry, angry masses have been fed for another day. Danny boy? Daniel Davis! Sir, yes sir! That's ma'am, yes ma'am, but good try. Hit the bathrooms first, then take out the trash. Bonus points if you can do it without spilling trash juice on yourself.
3: Ma'am, yes ma'am!
1: Ginger? Oh, Mark, you're not Ginger.
3: I swapped shifts with her, remember?
1: And you looked so thrilled with that decision.
3: Ha ha. I'm on grills, right?
1: Correct. And Ruth, dear departing Ruth, give me a hand with the register so we can get all this loot safely into the safe. Make sure I don't steal anything, okay? (laughs) Ma'am, yes ma'am! Okay, Dream Team, let's shut this chef down!
4: We don't know exactly what the team did that night, but if they followed the usual protocol, the junior members would clean while Jane handled the money.
0: All she had to do was transfer the day's profits from the register to the safe in the manager's office, a task she'd done hundreds of times. Nothing about the night was supposed to be unusual. But between 11 p.m. and midnight, something terrible happened to Jane and her team.
4: Just after midnight in the early hours of November 18th, a lone visitor drove by the closed burger chef on Crawfordsville Road. It was a 17-year-old boy who will call Greg to protect his identity.
0: Greg was no stranger to this location. He actually worked there alongside Jane and the others. He wasn't scheduled that night, but figured he'd stop by to visit his friends and help with closing.
4: He knew everyone would be in the back shutting down, so he walked to the back door. It would be locked. The back door was always locked, but he figured he'd test it out before knocking.
0: That's when an unsettled Greg discovered someone had left the back door open.
4: Hello? Hello? Guys? The restaurant was totally empty, with all the lights left on. Combined with the unlocked back door, this was a highly unusual situation. Greg's worries doubled when he saw the restaurant's empty cash register drawers scattered on the ground. Oh, God.
0: Greg hurried to the manager's office, which was in total disarray. Someone had clearly been in the safe where all the money was kept. Evidence of a robbery was alarming enough, but that's not what scared Greg most.
4: The sight of Ruth Ellen Shelton's jacket on the ground truly terrified him. Greg knew that there was no way that organized fastidious Ruth would just leave it like that, so he knew what he had to do.
1: 911, what is your emergency?
4: <laughs> Hi, I'm
6: at the Burger Chef on Crawfordsville Road. I work here, well not tonight, but I dropped by and the place was unlocked and nobody's here. I think the place was robbed.
1: Sir, is it possible your friends just stepped out?
6: No, they wouldn't just leave. Not without their stuff. I feel like something real bad happened.
1: Sir, remain calm and stay at the location. The police will be there in just a few minutes.
0: Okay,
6: but please hurry!
0: A scared Greg waited for police to arrive. A quick drop-in on his friends had suddenly spiraled out of control, and the young man was now accidentally on the front lines of one of Indiana's most unsettling, unsolved crimes.
4: Next, we'll cover the crucial 48 hours after the disappearance of the Burger Chef employees and the mistakes police made that would severely impact the investigation.
0: Now, back to the story.
4: In the early hours of Saturday, November 18th, 1978, Speedway police officers arrived at the Burger Chef restaurant on Crawfordsville Road. They were responding to a 911 call from an off-duty restaurant employee.
0: He'd stopped by around midnight to visit fellow employees Jane, Ruth, Daniel, and Mark, but found the place unlocked and empty. Both Jane and Ruth's purses and coats were still inside, and the manager's safe had been robbed.
4: The manager, who will call Ben to protect his anonymity, soon arrived on the scene. It was up to him to figure out just how much money had been stolen.
5: Well,
3: what's the damage?
5: I've tallied today's receipts, and it seems that nearly $600 was taken. There's a hundred left in change, though.
3: Hmm. How much do you trust your employees? I trust them with my life. Well, with my store, at least. Because we've seen this before. Employees, even good ones, they go rogue sometimes. Get a little rowdy, skim some money off the day's profits to pick up a six pack or score a little blow. Jane would never do that. And she'd never let anyone else do that. I'm just saying, don't be
5: shocked if we find them gallivanting around town tonight. If they wanted to slip out and go rogue on my dime, why would they leave the lights on and the door unlocked? Why would Jane and Ruth leave their coats and purses? Fair. You sure those four kids were the only ones with access to the door? The front door stays locked after hours, and the back door stays locked always. There's no way anyone else could have gotten in. Unless... Unless what? Well, our dumpsters are out back. If someone was taking multiple loads of trash out, they might leave the door unlocked. They're not supposed to,
3: but it happens. So... Maybe that's how someone got inside.
0: This wasn't the first robbery at a local fast food joint. Several Indiana spots had faced issues with armed robbers striking just after closing to steal the day's profits. Though just under $600 sounds like a small amount, it would be worth over $2,000 today.
4: Typically, these robberies never resulted in anything more serious than stolen money and shaken employees. The fact that Jane, Mark, Ruth, and Daniel were nowhere to be found was both peculiar and unsettling.
0: Once Speedway police became convinced the teens were in danger, Speedway police chief Robert Copeland knew it was time to inform their parents. Around 1 a.m., Jane's parents, Carolyn and George, were told their daughter was missing, as were Ruth's parents, Rachel and John.
4: It's unknown how the Davis family was informed, but we do know that the Speedway police took a curiously understated approach when they contacted the family of missing 16-year-old Mark Flemons.
6: Whoever this is, there'd better be a good reason for calling this late.
3: I'm calling from the Speedway police. Am I speaking to Robert Flemons?
6: Yes, this is he. What's this about?
3: Mr. Flemons, your son Mark works at Burger Chef on Crawfordsville, correct? Much as
6: I'd like him not to, yes, he does.
3: Has Mark come home yet? Uh,
6: I don't believe
0: so. Is something wrong?
3: Mr. Flemons, please give us a call back when he returns. Thanks.
0: If police were trying to be vague in order to prevent a panic, it didn't work. Robert Flemons and his wife Blondell knew their son wouldn't stay out this late on his own.
4: Robert drove to Speedway Police Headquarters sometime before dawn, where he learned that Mark was missing, along with three of his co-workers. The news was broken to him just around the time that the search effort began in earnest.
0: Officers from the Speedway and Indiana State Police were joined by the FBI as they set out on foot, by car, and in helicopters to search the area for any sign of Mark, Jane, Ruth, and Daniel. The first break in the case came at 4.30 a.m., when Jane Freed's car was found, two blocks away from Speedway Police Headquarters.
4: Though it would undoubtedly cause more worry and heartache, Speedway investigators had no choice— but to inform Jane's mother, Carolyn. Mrs. Freak, can you confirm that Jane drove a white 1974
3: Chevy Vega?
2: Why are you asking?
3: We found the vehicle abandoned on West 15th Street. There's nobody in there. The keys weren't inside, and the passenger side door was unlocked. Was Jane usually good about locking her doors? Jane
2: always locked her doors, officer.
3: The car was dusted for prints, but
0: nothing of note was found. All police had to go on was the fact that the passenger door was unlocked. The Vega was a two-door car, so the unlocked passenger door would have been the only way to exit the car.
4: Police mulled over a possible theory that would explain the scant bits of evidence that they'd found so far.
0: At some point between 11 p.m. and 12 a.m. on the night of November 17th, one or more robbers, possibly armed, broke into the burger chef after an employee left the back door open while taking out the garbage. They held Jane, Ruth, Daniel, and Mark hostage while they stole $600 from the safe.
4: Then, for reasons unknown, they forced the four young adults into Jane's vega. Jane drove the car 10 blocks before they made her park it on West 15th Street. At that point, the captors ushered their hostages out of Jane's car and abandoned it.
0: Police wondered if a second vehicle arrived to take the four missing employees to an unknown destination. As dawn finally broke on the morning of November 18th, investigators hoped daylight would bring more answers.
4: When the morning shift employees of the Crawfordsville Street Burger Chef arrived at work on the morning of Saturday, November 18th, they were ignorant of the previous night's events. Local media
0: was still unaware that Jane, Daniel, Mark, and Ruth were missing and Speedway police officers were intent on keeping that fact confidential.
6: Chief Copeland, can you describe the
3: events that occurred here last night? Sadly, the burger chef was burgled overnight, but as you can tell, the morning crew is here to open up for the day. They've already got us in their way, so I'm sure they'd appreciate it if there weren't any reporters sniffing around too. Were there any employees hurt during the robbery? This is an active investigation in its earliest stages. We'll let the public know of any additional details once they're confirmed.
4: Thank you. In the early hours, it's unclear just how much the other Burger Chef employees were told about the previous night's events.
5: Thank you all for coming in. You're a credit to the Burger Chef family and...
4: Ben, what happened here?
3: Where's Jane? Is it even safe to be here right now? What are we going to do?
5: We're going to do what we always do. We're gonna wipe down the counters, clear out the trash, and then we're gonna greet the lunch rush with big smiles and bigger savings on value meals. Okay? Please?
0: The Burger Chef team was permitted to resume business as usual. And at some point on the afternoon of November 18th, Speedway police realized just how big of a mistake that was.
3: Alright, so we've got Elwanger out talking to the kids' parents. We should focus on the crime scene photos and any prints or evidence that was found. Right. What's that look on your face for?
6: They cleaned up the restaurant. What? The morning crew? We said they could stay open today, so they cleaned up.
3: Please tell me someone took photos of the restaurant before all that happened. I'm not sure. Ah, then turn this dang car around and get us back there!
4: Somehow, not a single Speedway officer thought to take crime scene photos or dust the restaurant for fingerprints. It was a catastrophic oversight that may very well be the reason this case is still unsolved today.
0: While other factors were at play, the first 48 hours are the most crucial part of a missing person's investigation. By initially assuming the Burger Chef teens had robbed the place themselves, and by forgetting to properly document the crime scene, the police had unwittingly botched their own investigation.
4: There's no doubt that they were trying to do their best, but mistakes have consequences. Though officers returned to the cleaned-up Burger Chef to take photos and recreate the crime scene, no notable evidence was found.
0: As news of the four missing employees began to spread through town, the police were extra thorough when Speedway locals began to phone in tips about what they saw in the early hours of November 18th.
4: The first story came in on the afternoon of Saturday the 18th from an unnamed teenage couple who were on an impromptu date on the night of November 17th.
5: It was Friday night around 1130 or maybe a bit earlier. I was picking up this beauty from work to walk her home. We stopped right by Burger Chef.
3: What was your reason for stopping?
1: Well, nobody could see us, and we hadn't had any um, alone time lately.
3: Ah, what happened next?
5: We hung out on the railroad tracks nearby, and these two guys just like walked up. It was freaky.
1: Yeah, they told us to go home. They said it wasn't safe to be out late because of all the crime and stuff lately.
3: Can you describe the men? Age, clothing, anything unique? Old, like in their thirties.
5: They had on these raggedy outfits.
1: Oh, the one who spoke to us had dark hair and a dark beard and a mustache. He was blowing his nose and a handkerchief at the same time.
5: The other one didn't talk, but he was clean shaven and had like lighter hair, I think. Anyway, we got out of there and cut through the Burger Chef lot on the way. Did you notice anything in the parking lot?
1: No. Oh, well, there was a white car parked there. It was so cool. I drive
5: it. Oh, babe, you would look great in that car.
3: Uh, anyway, officer, does that help? It does. I was wondering, and of course, we'll have to get your folks permission. But how would you kids feel about being hypnotized? Awesome.
0: Police took the unusual step of bringing in a sergeant who was familiar with hypnosis to pull memories from the couple's minds. Between the interview and hypnosis, police now confirmed that Jane's white vega was still at Burger Chef before it was driven away after midnight. They also had possible suspects in mind. Two 30-something men in shabby clothes, one dark-haired and bearded, the other fair-haired and
4: beardless. A man named Michael Grider was also hypnotized after he called in to report something he'd seen around the time of the robbery. He was stopped at a red light and noticed a small car with the windows fogged up. He could just make out the sight of a bearded man in the car.
0: Police thought the fogged up windows might indicate frantic behavior within the car, like four young adults struggling to break free from captivity. However, it doesn't appear that Grider's testimony added any more specific details.
4: The final set of tips came from people who lived on nearby Lupine Drive. I saw
2: two cars. Well, one was a van with a two-tone exterior. They were driving fast, which concerned me because they didn't have their lights on. It seemed like the car had some kids in it, and I think I heard a scream as they passed. Then both cars stopped suddenly. I think someone got out of the van and walked to the car.
0: Another eyewitness had a slightly different
3: variation on the story. Yeah, I saw two cars driving down the street, no lights on. They definitely slowed down as they drove, but I don't know if they ever stopped.
4: Interestingly, Ruth Ellen Shelton's family also lived on Lupine but her parents said they hadn't seen or heard any of the activity that their neighbors had reported.
0: By the morning of Sunday, November 20th, Speedway police were still on the lookout for any sign of either the missing Burger Chef team or the two mysterious men who may have been involved with their disappearance.
4: They would soon make a horrifying discovery, more than 20 miles away.
0: A couple, who we'll call Bill and Ellen own land in the woods near Stone's Crossing Road in Johnson County, Indiana. Around 3:15 p.m. on the afternoon of Sunday, November 20th, they went for a brisk autumn walk across their property.
1: Mm, it's so nice out. You'd hardly know it was November. Oh god.
5: Ellen, are you
1: all right? Bill, look down in the dirt. Those children are they? Oh, please tell me they're just passed out.
5: <sighs> I don't think so, Hun. Look at this girl's shirt. It, it's some kind of uniform.
1: Bill, we should get out of here.
5: Wait, over there.
1: Bill, what's happening? There are two more over
5: here. A boy and a girl. They're dead, too.
1: These uniforms. I, I think they're from Burger Chef. It's those teenagers,
4: the missing ones on the news.
5: How in the hell did they end up here?
4: Come on, we've got to call the police. Jane Freet, Ruth Ellen Shelton, Mark Flemons, and Daniel Davis were all found dead on the couple's property in rural Johnson County, over 20 miles away from the Burger Chef restaurant in Speedway.
0: The Hagers rushed home to call the Indiana State Police by the night of Sunday, November 20th. The story would transform from a missing persons case to a murder investigation that would last an entire decade.
4: Join us next week as we delve into the shocking ways the Burger Chef murder victims were killed. The hunt for the mysterious bearded man and the convicted criminal whose ominous tips may pin him as one of the Burger Chef killers.
0: Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back on Tuesday with Part 2 of The Burger Chef Murders.
4: For more information on The Burger Chef Murders, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book The Burger Chef Murders in Indiana by Julie Young to be extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify.
4: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, But now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Unsolved Murders, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar.
4: Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review.
0: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time.
4: If we live till next time.
0: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Amin Osman with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Susanna Corrington, Dan Velasquez, Joe Hernandez, Mike Capozzi, Tiana Camacho, and Harris Markson. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy.